Good morning. <laughs> and uh, I have to tell you, it's a thrill to be up here today. Um, what we're going my message today just hits really close to my heart, and um, I will tell you, explain that to you later. So you're going to have to wait around a little bit for all the fun stuff. But anyway, um, we welcome you. We love to see you, and we just, yeah, I can just feel the power of the Spirit here this morning. I just feel it. And uh, Abby did such a great job. So um, today, we're continuing on in, with our journey into Matthew. Uh, previously in Matthew, we have discussed the uh, genealogy of Jesus, you know, where we sort of talked about his genealogy was a little bit messy, but, you know, it wasn't looking back, it was looking forward. That's where the important things happen. And then we, we, we uh, covered his birth, his flight into Egypt, and then... Uh, we talked, covered his baptism, the temptation, and last week Carol covered the Beatitudes. And she did a wonderful job with that. So that's sort of the lead-in on the Sermon on the Mount. So today I'm going to take the second step in Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to talk a little bit about salt and light. So, and you might think, well, salt and light, what's that got to do with anything? But it does, it has a lot. And these four verses that I'm going to read are quite impactful. So. I'm going to read Matthew 5, and it should be on the screen here. Yep. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town <clears throat> on a, a town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your, your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the question is, you know, the question that sort of hit me was, okay, Jesus is using... <clears throat> two examples here, light and, um, and uh, salt, to make, a, to make a difference. So what is it about salt? So I was thinking about salt as we know it today, and I was asking my wife here the other day, preparing for this, is how many types of salt do we have in the house? And I was amazed that we probably had five or six different kinds of salt in the house. And um, I know that um, some of you like to use a lot of it. I don't like to use a lot of it, but it's nice to know that we have six different types of salt in the house. I'm sure that covers a whole multitude of sins, <laughs> you know, right, dear? <laughs> so anyway, um, so I got to thinking, okay, what do we use salt for today? Well, obviously, we use it to season our food. But there are some other uses. Matter of fact, I'm told that there are 14,000 different uses for salt. So I just want to share with you a couple of them this morning, which might be somewhat meaningful, and some of them which I didn't even know existed. The first one is, did you realize that salt can remove stains from carpeting? I didn't know that. Maybe some people here knew that, but I didn't know that. Um, secondly, and this is one I wish I knew, that it relieves bee bites, it's bee stings, that salt will be a factor in relieving the pain in a bee sting. I've been stung a few times in my life, so that would have been nice to know. But, and it's also used as a natural mouthwash, and don't we love that one, you know, when you get the order, okay, mix a little salt in the water and you swish it around your mouth, it doesn't taste too good. 
But here's one that's really interesting. It chills beverages faster. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I know we have a younger crowd here, but how many of you ever made ice cream? Oh, okay, all right. Now the second part of that question is, how many of you ever made ice cream the old-fashioned way? Ah, okay, so you'll, you'll get this, you know. So I remember as a kid, and that goes back many, many years ago, sitting alongside this um, bucket that had a canister in the middle. The, in the canister was the ice cream ingredients, and you had to crank this thing, crank it and crank it and crank it. But the good news is, or what happened was, that they packed that canister with ice. Around the canister was ice. But then to make that ice temperature lower, they pour, they pour salt over it. I don't know how that works, but it works. So I can remember just doing this, doing this, doing this, until the ice cream started getting harder and harder, until finally you could open the canister and Allah, there was ice cream. But the good news of that ice cream was that you didn't feel guilty when you ate it because you did all this exercising before you ate it. So you didn't feel as guilty as when you just make ice cream, plug it into the wall, and this thing whirs around and you get it. So there, if you ever never did it, go out, find one, and do it. It's fun. Now, here's another interesting one that I don't know if this is a story, but I like, I sort of, the story is sort of interesting. This story sort of goes along with this, this person was actually qualifying job applicants using salt. Now, you're probably wondering, what in the world? Well, here's the, here's the story, true or false. J.C. Penney, when he was hiring managers for his store, what he would do, he would take them out for lunch. So they'd get to the, get to the restaurant, he'd order the food, and you know, they, then what he would do is the applicant would get the food, and if he reached for that salt shaker and seasoned his food before he tasted it, he'd be out the door. He would not hire this individual. And, uh, and his reasoning was sound, I think. His reasoning was that, look, I don't need managers that make decisions without having all the facts. So true or false, it does make some, uh, some sense to me, but I never used that when I hired people, probably should have. So now, let's go back. <laughs> let's, let's go back to um, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but I think it was interesting to find out the use of salt before. We're sort of building a case here of why Jesus would use salt as a metaphor. So in Jesus' time, when this Sermon on the Mount, when he was teaching on this hillside near the Sea of Galilee, if you can picture that, was, um, salt was a very, very valuable commodity. So much so that Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. So can you imagine going up to your paymaster on any given week that, oh yeah, I put in my 40 hours here, I want my little pouch of salt, and then we're happy and left, and yeah, I don't know how much salt they got, but they were paid in salt. So that just sort of is an indication of how valuable it was. Um, can't imagine how that would work today, but I don't think it would. Uh. But, the, the, but if you look at the ingredients or the properties of salt back in those days, one was as a preservative. They did not have refrigeration. They could not walk into the front room and go to the refrigerator, open it up and, you know, and toss their fish in or their meat in and keep it cool. That didn't work back in those days. So they had to encase their food in salt, which was a preservative. Now the other piece of that was 
It was also a seasoning. It was a flavoring agent that people used to flavor their food. And lastly, the three main uses were fertilizer. So, there are three, a couple of verses I want to share with you um, that sort of go along with, with what I'm just talking about here. First is Leviticus 2, verse 13, which says, <laughs> okay, um, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of you, God, out of your grain offerings and salt to, of all your offerings. And the second is Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. So I think it just sort of, you know, just uh, quantifies exactly what Jesus meant when, you know, you want to be the salt. You, he want, so what he was telling his disciples at that particular time was, look, I want you to go out and preserve the world. I want you to season the world and make it a better place. Um, and then the fertilizing part of this was really interesting because really, um, if disciples were doing the job and we're doing our job and as, as followers, then that fertilizer would just sort of help God enhance his, his um, message as he went on, as fertilizer does in the real world. So I think we can see that by being called or being asked to be the salt of the earth, that we have a opportunity. We have an opportunity to do the very same things his disciple was doing. But here's the, the second part of that is, um, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That's interesting because I'm told by the experts that salt does not lose its saltiness. That it's a compound, it's a very stable compound, and it stays salty no matter what. But then we have to think, okay, what was Jesus thinking about when he made that comment? Well, I think he was thinking about was that you have to, and we can sometimes, as believers, we can sometimes get contaminated. We might be, you know, we might not, um, we might not do things right all the time. We might look sinful. What he's saying is that you know, we would never lose our saltiness because, uh, because we can ask God to restore. But there are also imposters out there that can lose their saltiness. And we have to be a little bit careful about who we're listening to and, uh, because they can be, lose their saltiness and they cannot get it back. Take it with a grain of salt, right, right. It goes back to, the, you know, when the Romans soldiers were paid, you know, and you always hear the saying, he's not worth his salt. It's sort of like, <laughs> he's not worth his, his pouch of salt. So let's move on, because you know, we have, I think we've determined that salt was very important, and Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, you are very valuable, you are very important, you have a job to do. You can make the world a better place to live in by preserving it, by seasoning it, and then fertilizing it. So these, these are the things that Jesus is directing his disciples and us to do. So let's move on now to the second metaphor, and that's the metaphor of light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, this is interesting because if you go to John 1, verse 9, it states that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, which is Jesus. So Jesus was the true light of the world, but yet he was saying that, you know, you are the light of the world. So what gives? 
Well, I think what Gibbs and what he sort of meant was it was obvious that we are not the light of the world, but he's telling us the way we live, our lifestyle, can be a direct manifestation of his light. The light that he is giving out to us can shine through us and can make a difference in the world. And we have a choice. We all have a choice. We have a choice that we can be a witness to Jesus' light or we can be an inhabitant of the darkness. Now, the interesting thing about light and darkness is the fact that a lot of people think that they're opposites, but they're not really opposites. Darkness is the absence of light. They're not opposites. So we need, you know, to get our light out there. Um, there are many, many people that are traveling along life's journey that are living in darkness that just don't have and haven't been in contact with that light. So, I told you that I would share with you why this passage was very meaningful. Whoa, whoa. It was very meaningful to me. Not nervous. I'm going to stand right here. Five years ago, I would not be standing here. There's not a doubt in my mind, I would not be here. Um, why? Why, how would you not be here five years ago? I wouldn't be. I did not have a relationship with Jesus five years ago. I, I, for years and years and years, I knew who he was. I knew, you know, I was born and raised in a Christian home. I knew who he was, but I never developed that relationship for decades. And I mean, that goes back a long time, um, that I did not, not have that relationship. But what happened? What happened right in these four walls here, that light was shining. When we, we started coming here, I could feel that light. I could feel the, the, vib the vibrancy in this room. I could just feel the spirit just speaking out to me that I had to do something. I had to do it. So four years ago, I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. And that was that. I, I, I made a pact that I would live my life for him that I would do what I'm doing here this morning, talk about Jesus. That's what I love to do, talk to people about Jesus. Talk to them about what it feels like to have somebody walking alongside you every day, to be that rock that you can just go to, you can take your burdens to. You can, I mean, it has made my life just everything. So as I move forward, I'm not perfect yet, and I probably never will be, but I can tell you this. I will keep doing what I'm doing. I will keep reaching out, and I will try to talk to people and try to let my light shine and use the salt that he has given me so that I can make a difference in people's lives. That's what I'm all about now. And um, so I just, I wanted to get that in here because I want you to know that the light that shines through you from Jesus does make a difference. It made a huge difference in my life. I mean, I was sitting right back there when things started happening. And I remember... Like it was yesterday in my workshop where I just gave my life to him. So, amen. Um, so moving on. Verse 15, neither do people light a large lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand and give light to everyone in the room. Now, if any of you ever, if you have a little oil lamp at home, you know that if you light that, you get a little bit of light, you get a little flicker of light. I know we got a couple of oil lamps in our house, and you know, yeah, if the, if the electricity goes out, 
it gives you enough light where you can probably see without banging into things. But you also understand that if you put that light really close to the ground, you don't get much light. You see a little circle of light. So if you raise it up, it does project a little more light into the room. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I don't want you to put that light down here. I want you to put that light up here so it shines. It shines out into the world. It makes impact in the world. That's what he wants you to do. Now, in, that, in those days, I mean, we, today, we can walk into a room, flick the switch, and yeah, it's light, just total light. You know, or tech-savvy people probably are hitting out of your car and hitting your phone, and voila, the lights are on. Uh, yeah, that's not... <laughs> That's not me, but uh, it works for some of you, I'm sure. Um, I have a son who's quite tech-savvy, so I know when we go to his house, it's always do this and do that, and the lights just happen to come on. So it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty neat, I think. Um, so what he wants us to do is to get that light up. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think we have a fantastic opportunity ahead of us. There's a lot of people that are walking in darkness. There's a lot of dark places in the world. I think that we just have to use our light to just let it penetrate into those areas and get to those people somehow. Um, it just makes all the sense in the world that, um, like I said, this, this passage meant so much to me when I was reading it, when I was studying it. It was just like, wow. You know, this is you, this is you, this is what you want to do. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. And um, he's telling us to be the salt and the light of the world. Now, before, um, in conclusion, it's interesting when you look at the two statements Jesus made, the two metaphors. You are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. He's not saying, he's not giving you an option. He's saying, you are. He's not saying, well, maybe you have an opportunity, or maybe you have the potential to be. No, he's saying, you are. So as you sit here today, and I'm standing up here, he's telling us directly that we are, that we are, we have this opportunity ahead of us. We are the salt and the light of the world. And we can go out there and do the things that we need to do. Um, so he is asking us to do this. And I was thinking, going back to that hill, that city on a hillside that cannot be hidden. So I'm going to just throw this out. I'm going to walk to that hillside. And I'm going to try to let my light shine, project out into the world, and make, maybe it'll make a difference in somebody's life. So I'm going to invite all of you to walk with me, hand in hand. Go up that hill, find that hill, find that high spot, and let your light just shine, shine out to, to the world because there's so many people out there that need that, you know. I spent a lot of time in 70 times seven, and I know that these people, they're out there. They need to be, they need to see this light. They need to hear your salt, your version, your, your seasoning, your fertilizing, the word. That's, that's what they need to do. Now, I'll leave you with this thought. Sometimes I talk to people and I ask them a question. I ask them, what about your spiritual life? You know, what's your walk like Jesus with? And some people will say, well, you know, 
that's sort of a private matter. I really don't want to talk to you about that. And, well, but that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's not asking us to sit on the sideline. He's not asking us to sit on the bench. He's asking us to suit up and get in the game. You know, that's what he's asking us to do. And so we have to get in that game. We have to get up that hillside. We have to let our light shine. There's never a better time than right now to do these things. I mean, I'm in it, and I hope that you're in it with me. So um, I think before I close in prayer, I think that I just want to, there's going to be a prayer team up here. And I think you guys are in the discernment seat. So if anybody has anything you want to add to the message today, or um, feel free to over here. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to pray. Yeah. You guys. Oh, I was, I was going to tell you, when I, was, when I was going, this is really silly, sort of, but it's sort of meaningful to me. In fact, when I was putting this, this message together, there was a song that kept creeping into my head. And it was a song I remember that I sang as a child, you know, and it's probably being sung today. And it was, this little light of mine. I just couldn't get it out of my head. You know, this little light of mine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And it just kept going. And I thought, wow, you know, as long as I can remember that, that's going to really keep me focused on what this is all about. Very simplistically, this is what I'm talking about all day long. Let your light shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Don't put it under a bushel. No, no, no. Just let it shine. Are you wrong? No, I'm going to pray a second. Then, yeah, yeah, no, okay. No. So let, let me uh, pray, and then I think we've got a song or two to sing yet. Okay. Father, um, you know, we're just so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you gave us this mandate to, you know, to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. You, you have given us an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And Lord, I just pray today, if there's somebody out there that's listening to me, or that's in the vicinity, that if you are in a dark spot, and if you need this light, please, please search us out. We would love to sit to talk to you regarding Jesus. You know, we, we, um, we strive, and we, we just thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you give us. We strive, and we love you very, very much, and help us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.